Well, our reading today comes from Acts chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 to 7, and that can be found on page 914 of the Church Bibles, and it's also going to appear on the screen. So, uh, reading from verse 1 of chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at that together. Our Father, we thank you for this time to gather round your word, and we pray that as we do, that your spirit would be at work in our midst, that you would uh, uh, open our eyes to, to see what you have to say to us today, and that, that you would refresh us, encourage us, and, uh, and renew us uh, as we spend time in your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, I wonder what comes into your mind when you hear the word power. Uh, maybe you think of the power of an athlete, uh, the most powerful athlete that I can think of at the moment is Erling Haaland, the Norwegian striker who strikes fear into any defense, but in the end ended up being on the losing side against Scotland last night, which was delightful. Or maybe it's the power of a ruler, someone who governs and leads and can use and wield that power for good or ill. Or, or, or maybe it's the power of, of the elements, the, the wind and the waves. They can be extraordinarily powerful, can't they? But I wonder if you've ever associated power with the word procedure. Procedure. It's probably not the first word that springs to mind when you think about power. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Acts, and we've been thinking about the way that God's power enables his people to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. We've seen how God empowers his people by his Holy Spirit to fulfill his mission. And we've seen that power displayed in, in dramatic ways uh, through prayer and, and preaching and through the people of God. Ways that have resulted in thousands and thousands of people putting their faith in Jesus. 
The first few chapters of Acts are full of wonderfully inspiring displays of God's power that should give us confidence uh, as we look to fulfill God's mission as His church. And then we get to chapter 6, and it all seems to go a bit flat. Suddenly, we're talking about procedure. On the surface of it, it looks like a fairly mundane few verses uh, that we could just skip over. There's not much power in sight. And yet, if we take a closer look, what we see is that God's Spirit is no less evident in what seems like a very ordinary, everyday situation. He works in power through the wise organization of his church. Now, talking about structures uh, and organization might not immediately fill you with excitement as you arrive at church today. When it comes to the church, when you start to hear those words, in my mind, it kind of conveys an image of a church meeting where uh, people are arguing endlessly about what color of magnolia to paint the walls. It's not exactly riveting stuff. And it's tempting to look at the church in Acts and think that everything just came so naturally to them, that this loving, serving, caring community was able to operate without any real sense or, or real sense of or, or need for organization. And that it wasn't until much later that, that, that people sucked the life out of the church by adding structure to it. But that just wasn't the case. The early church was a radical community. There was so much going on to be excited about, but very early on, they realized the need for order to this movement. They recognized that there was power in procedure, that there was a need for their structures to serve the spread of the gospel. Because structure, procedure, it enables the church to deal with problems that might cause us to take our eye off the ball. And we see one such problem here in this passage. If you look with me at verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. So, so Luke begins this section by referring to the continued growth of the church. It's an amazing picture that we have in these uh, chapters and acts of the church growing and growing and growing. And with that rapid growth, it was hardly surprising that sooner or later that would lead to some problems. Thousands and thousands of people were being added to the church. Lives were being transformed, which was all very exciting. But with growth comes pain. If you look with me at verse 1, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, in that society, widows were women who, who found themselves in a very vulnerable situation if they didn't have any children to care for them. And the church had obviously identified this particular group of women as requiring the care of the Christian community. And they'd already set up a, a practical structure to care for their needs. They provided vulnerable widows with a daily distribution. Uh, throughout the book of Acts, we see that the church was a community where practical needs were met, where God's people cared for one another, and, and that hasn't changed. The, the church is to be a community of care, where God's people love one another sacrificially. 
Uh, And there are an endless number of ways we might express that sacrificial love for one another in practical ways. But in this particular case in Acts, with the rapid growth of the church, the structure that had been put in place was no longer functioning as it was intended. And that led to this complaint from the Hellenists. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebrews were native Palestinian Jews whose first language was Aramaic. So very early on in the the church, there was this issue of a language and a cultural barrier uh, amongst these Jewish converts, and a complaint had arisen. Now, it could have been the case that the, the, the cultural differences that existed in that church community were causing the tension in that situation. But judging by the unity that is displayed throughout the rest of this passage, it's unlikely that there's anything too sinister going on. It may simply have been the case that this language barrier, coupled with the rapid growth of the church, it caused some confusion when it came to providing for the practical needs of these women. And maybe they'd just been unintentionally overlooked. Either way, there was a problem that needed to be solved in case it escalated into something more serious, in case it became something that distracted the church from its mission. And so in the face of the problem, they set about establishing a solution. We read verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So, so the apostles, they gather the whole church together and they make a very clear statement. They tell the church that it's not their job to be serving tables. Now, what are we meant to make of that? Were these guys arrogant? Uh, were they proud leaders who thought that, that menial tasks were beneath them? Who expected everybody else to run about and do the dirty work? Now, on first glance, we could be forgiven for thinking that, but that's not what's going on here. These guys, they were not full of their own self-importance. They were making a statement about what was of first importance for the church. They weren't saying that waiting on tables was beneath them. They were just saying that it wasn't their particular role. And that's because they'd already been given a very specific and essential role in the life of the church. They're very clear that their focus needed to be on preaching the word. These guys, they had been called and gifted in a particular way to declare the message of the gospel and to teach the church. And God's spirit had worked powerfully through them. We've seen that already in Acts, that that thousands had put their faith in Jesus through their preaching. And the point they were making in verse 2 is that they needed to be freed up to continue to fulfill their calling. Their role was to keep preaching the Word. It was through the preached Word that their movement grew as God's Spirit transformed lives, as God's Spirit worked in power. And they recognized the danger that there was in being distracted from that task. If they'd got so caught up in the practicalities of church life, then the gospel would not have been proclaimed as effectively. They they weren't saying that caring for widows didn't matter. They knew how important it was to care for the needs of the community. 
They were just saying that it wasn't their job. And that's okay. It's okay because they didn't leave it there. They proposed a solution, and we see it there in verse 3. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So the apostles knew that they had to keep focused on what they had been called to do. They also knew that they needed to find a solution to the problem that had arisen. It was a very important need to be met. And so they provide a very specific solution. They identify the number and the kind of men that needed to be appointed to oversee the practical needs of these widows. And they give the church the responsibility to select the right guys. And notice they weren't just looking for anybody. They were looking for men who were full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And if you notice the list of men chosen in verse 5, all of them have Greek names. These guys, they spoke Greek. They were the exact fit for meeting the particular need of the church. This is genius. It was an important role that required outstanding leaders who would have the wisdom to handle the job, who could get on with things without the apostles constantly needing to go and look over their shoulders to make sure the job was being done. Guys who were the perfect fit for the task. Here was a solution to the problem that covered all the bases. Getting the right people in the right roles meant that the practical needs of the church could be met, and at the same time, the apostles would be freed up to do what they had been called to do, to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And by solving the problem, it would allow the church to keep focusing on its mission and to keep growing. Now, this passage is such a great example of altering structures to enable mission to be done effectively. As a church, we should never fall into the trap of saying, we have always done things a certain way. We need to be ready to adapt when needed. The church is the community of God's people, and that community exists in all sorts of different settings and situations. No two churches are the same. And that's because every church is made up of a unique set of individuals with different gifts and abilities and passions. And even the same church will change shape over time, depending on who's involved and what stage of life they're at. Now, just take our church, for example. It's changed radically over the past 10 years. It's grown from a handful of people in a living room to where we are today. When we started, adults outnumbered children 10 to 1. Now that ratio is more like 2 to 1. Now that changes the shape of what we do. And the people who make up our church have changed radically too. Leith is a transient community, and that's reflected in our church. Uh, I'd reckon, uh, as a rough estimate, that somewhere in the region of between 350 to 400 people have been part of this church over the past 10 years. Many of you have no experience of Grace Church Leith before we started meeting here in this building two years ago. 
people who, who many of you have never met, who were deeply involved in the life of this church and used their unique gifts to serve here, have come and gone. And now here you are with your own unique gifts and passions. And as you use them for God's glory, that may mean that our mission will take a different shape. And it's not just the church that's changing. Leith is changing all the time as well. And the needs in our community are changing. And so that ought to affect how we go about our mission. And so that means that as best we can, we shouldn't be about trying to fit square pegs in round holes to just carry on doing the things we've always done. We should be about enabling people to exercise their different gifts and passions in order to further the mission that we've been given. Now, uh, we also need to recognize that as a church, we have changed in a, in a huge way with uh, meeting in this building, owning our own property. And with that comes all sorts of procedure and things like health and safety, fire wardens, and uh, uh, all manner of things that we need to pay attention to as a church. Uh, and these things need to be attended to in order for us to function well and to focus on what we're doing. So as we grow and as we develop, we need to keep thinking on how we improve and develop in those ways. But whatever our shape, whatever our structure, there are certain things that never change. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing. That, that goes for the church as a whole, and it goes for the church's leaders. A, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 2, and we were looking at the life of the early church, and we saw that their devotion is a model for the church in every time and, and every place. And the same goes with these early church leaders. Their devotion is a model for any church leader today. Now, there are so many things that as a minister, uh, I can get caught up doing, so many things that can distract me from my calling, and those things may, may not necessarily be bad things. The apostles would have been involved in a very good thing if they had focused their attention on the practical care of the widows in the church. But it would have distracted them from what for them was the best thing, their calling to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And it's that calling that God's ministers are to fulfill, to be devoted to prayer and preaching. Prayer that God's Spirit would work in power as His Word is preached, that lives would be transformed. Prayer and the ministry of the Word, they go hand in hand. And that's why it's essential that a minister is devoted to both and is given time to be devoted to both. And that's exactly what happened in the early church. The solution that the church came to, it met with everyone's approval, verse 6. What was decided pleased the whole church. And the result of good procedure? Well, God's Spirit worked in power. If you look with me at verse 7, and the Word of God continued to increase. Now, in the midst of this complaint, the church could easily have lost sight of the main thing. They could have easily been distracted and, uh, and got involved in infighting and focusing inwards. But the result of dealing decisively with the need that arose, the result of their restructuring was that the Word of God continued to increase as those called to prayer and the ministry of the Word were freed to fulfill that calling. 
more and more people put their trust in Jesus and their lives were changed. In fact, Luke tells us, verse 7, that the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The, the growth of the church went into overdrive. The result of careful organization was a powerful work of the gospel. Jerusalem was turned upside down, so much so that even the priests started putting their faith in Jesus, verse 7, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that incredible? You know, last week, we were thinking about the warnings and the, the threats that came from the spiritual authorities. And those threats intensify before we get to Acts chapter 6. In, in chapter 5, in verse 33, we're told that the religious leaders were so furious that they wanted to kill them. And yet Luke tells us here that the same message that was meant to be outlawed by the high priest and the council was the very message that was transforming the lives of a great many priests. By organizing themselves and freeing up the apostles to preach, the most unlikely lives were transformed. Who says procedure is dull? The gospel message had the power to transform the very order of society that was so utterly opposed to it. Acts is such an exciting book with so many memorable stories of God's Spirit working powerfully in the life of the early church. And this passage might not be one that, that will live long in the memory. But it's a wonderful insight into the heartbeat of this community. Everything in the life of the early church was shaped so that Jesus Christ could be made known. So that people would encounter the crucified, risen, and exalted king, and their lives would never be the same again. And that's exactly what happened. This passage marks the, the, the climax of the gospel going out in Jerusalem. The message had filled the city. Thousands and thousands of lives had been changed. Uh, thousands had been added to the church. And the same message that had transformed Jerusalem was ready to advance to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. You know, the fact that we are sitting here today, gathered from, from all different parts of the globe, is evidence of that fact. A room full of people whose lives have been transformed by the news that Jesus Christ died in our place and offers forgiveness and eternal life to anyone who trusts in him. Because God worked powerfully through procedure so that people could keep hearing the preaching of the word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that even in something so seemingly mundane, your spirit works powerfully. And we pray, Lord God, that, that we would uh, take seriously the, this, the importance of being well organized uh, so that we can focus on the task that you have given us to tell people in Leith and beyond the good news of our Savior Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you for the the, the lives that he has transformed in this place, uh, the lives that he will continue to transform through this church. And we pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen us, that you would equip us, that you would enable us in every way, um, that 
as a church, we would, we would share the load so that, so that we can move forward and grow well together in a healthy way. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.